Okay, chemical kinetics. So reactions can be spontaneous or non-spontaneous. The change in the Gibbs free energy determines whether or not a reaction will occur by itself without outside assistance. So even if it's spontaneous, it doesn't mean that it will go quickly. Uh, so we need to know the mechanism of reaction, which is a series of steps, and the sum of which gives the overall reaction. And knowing the accepted mechanism of reaction may help explain the rate, position of equilibrium, and thermodynamic characteristics. So the molecule that doesn't appear in the overall reaction is called this intermediate, and they are often difficult to detect because they might be consumed almost immediately after they're formed. But a proposed mechanism that includes intermediates can be supported through kinetic experiments known as the rate determining step, which is the slowest step in any proposed mechanism because it acts like a kinetic bottleneck preventing the overall reaction from proceeding any faster than the slowest than the slowest step. So the rate of the whole reaction is only as fast as the rate determining step. Um, the collision theory of chemical kinetics states that the rate of reaction is proportional to the number of collisions per second between the reacting molecules. Not all collisions result in a chemical reaction, so an effective collision that leads to the formation of products occurs only if they collide with each other in the correct orientation and with sufficient energy to break their existing bonds and form new ones. The minimum energy of collision necessary for reaction to take place is called the activation energy or the energy barrier. And the rate of reaction can therefore be expressed as rate equals Z times F, where Z is the total number of collisions occurring per second and F is the fraction of collisions that are effective. And a much more quantitatively rigorous analysis of the collision theory that can be accomplished through Arrhenius equation, which is normally given as k equals a e to the negative e sub a over rt, where k is the rate constant of a reaction, a is the frequency factor, e sub a is the activation energy, and r is the ideal gas constant, of course t is temperature in kelvins. The frequency factor, also known as the attempt frequency of the reaction, is a measure of how often molecules in a certain reaction collide within a unit um, of inverse seconds. And activation energy is a subject that will be touched upon later. How sad. I was just speaking, but I wasn't recording. So let's go back. Uh, all I mentioned was the frequency factor that can be increased by increasing the number of molecules in a vessel, which allows for more opportunities for collisions. There is the transition state, where the old bonds are weakened and the new bonds begin to form, and then it associates into products fully forming the new bonds. There is a reaction coordinate which traces the reaction from reactants to products. It's also called the activated complex and it has greater energy than both. And it's denoted by the symbol that looks like an equal sign with a vertical line through it. Uh, and the energy required to reach this transition state is the activation energy. And then uh, we can think about the free energy of the reaction, which is delta G of reaction. It's the difference between the free energy of the products and the free energy of the reactants. Negative means that it's exergonic and energy is given off. And uh, positive means it's endergonic, so energy is absorbed. Then we can look at the factors that affect the reaction rate. Um, the greater the concentration of reactants, the greater the number of effective collisions, and this leads in to a increase of the reaction rate. Temperature usually always re increases the reaction rate because it increases the average kinetic energy of the particles but it can also denature a catalyst, so if it's too high, it actually wouldn't help. Then we can look at the medium of a reaction. So if it's an aqueous environment, some molecules are more likely to react, and then if others can be less likely. So the physical state, whether it's liquid, solid, or gas, is important, and polar solvents are usually preferred because their molecular dipole can polarize the bonds, lengthening and weakening them, and allowing the reaction to go faster. 
Then catalysts increase the reaction rate without themselves being consumed. They interrupt the reactants either through absorption or by forming intermediates and stabilize them to reduce the activation energy needed for the reaction to proceed. So they can increase the frequency of collision between reactants, change the relative orientation, making a higher percentage of collisions effective. They can donate electron density to the reactants, and they can also reduce intermolecular bonding within reactant molecules. In homogeneous catalysis, the catalyst is in the same phase, so solid, liquid, or gas are the reactants, and in heterogeneous catalysis, it's in a distinct phase. So the only effect of the catalyst is the decrease in activation energies um, for both forward and reverse. There's no impact on the free energies, the reactants, or the products, or the difference between them. So it really only changes rates, not equilibrium or the measurement of KEQ. So we'll go further into reaction rates in some math. Um, the general rate of reaction can be calculated by the, so if we have a reaction that has um, a, A plus B, B yields C, C plus D, D, and the first A, B, C, and D is the coefficient. The rate is equal to negative delta, the concentration of big A over the coefficient A times delta T, and that should be equal to the same for every different uh, thing in the reaction. And it should be in the Units of moles per liter per second or molarity per second. Um, and this also always will have a, this we can describe the rate of the reaction in terms of the, like being consumed in the process or formation of the product. So we will always have a negative sign in front of the rate expression. Um, okay, so terms of the rate law, so for all forward irreversible reactions, the rate is proportional to the concentration to the reactants, with each concentration raised to some experimentally determined exponent. So we can use the uh, proportionality constant k to say that rate is determined by this equation, k times concentration of a to the power of x times concentration of b to the power of y. So k is the rate constant, the exponents x and y are the orders of the reaction, and this is the rate law. So it's always measured in concentration over time, and the exponents x and y are used to state the order of the reaction with respect to each reactant. And there's also some warnings that they have here. So the orders of reaction are not the same as the stoichiometric coefficients in the balanced equation. They're almost never the same as the stoichiometric coefficients on the MCAT. They have to be determined experimentally, so there's that. Um, it's also hard to determine this, and it can get tricky when the rate determining step involves an intermediate as a reactant where you have to derive the intermediate molecule's concentration by the law of mass action, which is the equilibrium constant expression for the step that produced that intermediate. Uh, another common trap is mistaking the equilibrium constant expression for the rate law. That's 
I think avoidable. Uh, KQ indicates where the equilibrium position lies for the reaction and the rate indicates how quickly the reaction will get there. And the third trap is the rate constant K. It's not a constant because its value for any specific reaction will depend on the activation energy for that reaction and the temperature that it takes place at. Um, but for a specific reaction at a specific temperature, it's a constant. And for a reversible reaction, the KEQ is equal to the ratio of the rate constant for the forward reaction divided by the rate constant for the reverse reaction, K sub negative 1. And the last trap is that the notion and the principles of equilibrium apply to the system only at the end of the reaction, so after the system has already reached equilibrium. So the reaction rate, though, it can theoretically be measured at any time, and it's measured at or near the beginning of the reaction to minimize the effects of the reverse reaction. Um, yeah. I think that's about it that I want to talk about here. I think it's important to be able to also understand how to experimentally determine the rate law, which is a problem that you can look at. I'm not going to read about it, though. Um, so we have reaction order next. Zero order reaction is one where the rate of formation of a product C is independent of changes in concentrations of any of the reactants A and B. And these reactions have a constant reaction rate equal to the rate constant K. So it's, it also has units of moles per second, like mol, big molarity per second. And it's also possible to change the rate for a zero order reaction by changing the temperature or the addition of a catalyst. And it results in a linear graph on a concentration versus time curve. Then we can move on to first order. It has rate directly proportional to only one reactant, so doubling the concentration of that results in doubling of the rate of the formation of the product. It's in units of one over second. Um, so like radioactive decay is something like that. Um, so the rate, uh, yeah. And now if we look at this on a concentration versus time curve, it's a nonlinear graph. So it can either be like a little curved graph or it could be something else. Uh, then we have second order reactions, which has a rate that is proportional to either the concentration of two reactions or to the square of the concentration of a single reactant. And it has to have the units of molarity, one over molarity times second. Uh, so it can often suggest a physical collision between two reactant molecules, especially if the rate law is first order with respect to each of the two reactants. And looking at them will result in a nonlinear graph again. This one's more like an exponential curve down. Then higher order reactions, There's, these are kind of more rare. Uh, so we have mixed order reactions, which are non-integer orders, which are fractions. Uh, and they're more specifically described as broken order. Then we have, oh yeah, that's it. That's just the only example. So now I'll go into our concept summary briefly. Um, with chemical kinetics to start off, so the change in Gibbs free energy determines whether or not a reaction is spontaneous. 
Chemical mechanisms propose a series of steps that make up the overall reaction. Intermediates are molecules that exist within the course of reaction but are neither reactants nor products overall. The slowest step is the rate determining step and it limits the maximum rate at which the reaction can proceed. Collision theory states that a reaction rate is proportional to the number of effective collisions between the reacting molecules. For a collision to be effective, molecules must be in the proper orientation and have sufficient kinetic energy to exceed the activation energy, and the Arrhenius equation is a mathematical way of representing those collisions. Uh, the transition state theory states that molecules form a transition state or activated complex during a reaction in which the old bonds are partially dissociated and the new bonds are partially formed. From the transition state, the reaction can proceed towards products or revert back to reactants, and it's the highest point on a free energy reaction diagram. Reaction rates can be affected by a number of factors. Increasing the concentration will increase the reaction rate, except for zero-order reactions because of more effective collisions per time. Increasing the temperature will increase reaction rate because the particle's kinetic energy is increased. Changing the medium can increase or decrease reactant rate depending on how the reactants interact with it. Adding a catalyst increases the reaction rate because it lowers the activation energy. Homogeneous catalysts are same phase and heterogeneous are different phase. Reaction rates are measured in the terms of rate of disappearance of a reactant or appearance of a product. So the rate laws take the form of a rate equals k times a to the x times b to the y. The rate orders usually do not match the stoichiometric coefficients and rate laws must be determined from experimental data. I'm sorry, did I say rate laws? Yeah, yeah. And the rate order of a reaction is the sum of all individual rate orders in the rate law. Zero-order reactions have a constant rate that does not depend on the concentration of a reactant. So the rate of a zero-order reaction can be affected only by changing the temperature or adding a catalyst, and it's going to yield in a straight line when you look at a concentration versus time curve, and the slope is equal to negative k. Uh, First-order reactions have a non-constant rate that depends on the concentration of a reactant, so it results in a non-linear curve, and the slope of a ln a versus time plot is negative k. And then second-order reactions have a non-constant rate, again, that depends on concentration. It's, again, non-linear, and the slope of it, a slope of a 1 over a versus time plot is k for a second-order reaction. Then we have broken-order reactions, which are those with non-integer orders, and then we have mixed-order reactions, are those with a rate order that changes over time. Okay, so that's it for this one. I'll see you all when we talk about... Uh, Equilibrium. Bye-bye.